This is the Daily Coaching Podcast, bringing you thoughts, discussions and expert insight into all things football and coaching. I love goalkeeping. I love the whole art of goalkeeping. I love the whole science behind goalkeeping. I was 33 and became the oldest player since World War II to make his competitive debut in a World Cup qualifier. It's probably rosy percent for about 10% of it. The rest of the 90% is, is serious hard work. In today's episode, I get to know ex-professional goalkeeper, David Ford. Now, David has played in over 600 games during his career for clubs such as Millwall, Portsmouth, Cambridge United, and internationally for the Republic of Ireland. We talk his first pair of gloves, making his international debut at the age of 33, playing with the likes of Shea Given, John O'Shea and Robbie Keane, and the science behind goalkeeping. This conversation brings you the man behind the gloves. So let's get into it. Taking things back way before you even became a professional, um, it's interesting because one of the first buzzes that well, a lot of outfield players get anyway in particular is um, when you're a kid, you obviously get your first pair of boots. And, you know, people yeah. might potentially have boots which, you know, might be um, replicating a player that they like or it might be potentially because of the colour or the brand or something like that. But obviously, as a goalkeeper, can you remember what the first pair of gloves was you had and when you got them? And at that stage, did you know that you wanted to be a goalkeeper or was it kind of just part of, you know, the football attire, as you want to call it? No, totally. Always wanted to be, always wanted to be a goalkeeper. My brother was a goalkeeper, and of course, everyone's brother is their their hero. So I just wanted to follow in his footsteps. And the first pair of gloves I had were actually, and I remember them so well. They were amazing pair of gloves. They were Umbro, and they were Umbro Bruce Grobblers. And you can actually, if you go online, you can actually search them up and type in Umbro Bruce Grobblers, and they were. They were red and aluminous yellow and green and black. And they had a lit on the index finger. They had a picture of Bruce Grobler arched diving to make a save. And nice. oh, they, were, they were absolutely amazing. They were some, some piece of kit and they were my absolute pride and joy. You know, I probably would have slept with them. I probably would have ate with them. <laughs> did, did everything with them, like, you know. And uh, then there was also another in, in that. In that, that just reminds me as well. I, I think there were. I, I so enjoyed the the Umbro gloves at that stage that there was a Packy Bonner um, Celtic edition, and they had the the green and yellow and the green and white of of of, um, of Celtic and stuff. So as an Irish lad, they were they were probably two of the the biggest clubs at the time. Um, and for me, it was it was absolutely everything. So yeah, that was me me first pair of gloves, which were that's brought back a nice memory. <laughs> nice. And, and how long did you have them for? Because, again, another thing as well is that sometimes you see players, outfield or goalkeepers, who will have their boots or their gloves until, you know, they've literally got holes in them almost because it's, like you said, it's their favourite pair. But how long did you keep them for? A hundred percent. There was a great, there was a store in Galway where I come from the west coast of Ireland that was called The Great Outdoors and had everything. It had all sorts of sports equipment. And you'd, we'd, I'd even go in there after school just to have a look around and you'd have the old sport gloves and they packaged up and, you know, they were expensive at the time gloves. So the only time we really got them was probably 
Christmas or birthday. So it was, um, and my birthday and Christmas are within five days. So yeah. it was, um, it was one pair of gloves a season. And by the end of it, as you said, there was, there was holes at the, at the tip of it, especially your own, you know, your, your index finger and your thumb and those three main fingers, you know, were protruding through the, through the latex. Um, so yeah, back then, you know, we, we, we didn't really have much, but whenever my mother or dad had the chance or an opportunity, it was, it was definitely for a pair of gloves or, for any little bit of pocket money you had, you'd save up and, you know, but it still didn't stop you from going into the sports stores and pulling them out of the bags and trying them on and smelling them. And you were just thinking, this is absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's interesting as well, because you say about that smell, I can, I can smell it now. I can smell that, that new sort of fresh smell out of those gloves. And well, I say I can smell the fresh smell of the gloves. I can also now, unfortunately, have that smell of your gloves once you take them off after you potentially play the game as well, which uh, yeah, wasn't exactly. Yeah, it was amazing because it, it taught me so many great habits back then by just having one pair of gloves because I had to I had to mine them, I had to treat them so, so well. And I remember the first time I, I probably got a pair of gloves and I was playing on the street, on the road, and the, my mates used to think I was an absolute lunatic. I'd be diving around <laughs> in the tarmac, diving around the concrete, flying into lads' feet. I was just absolutely wild. And um, then I realized one day through the car- tarmac and the, and the heavy, my, my gloves were getting withered away and stuff. So I had to like, save my gloves for the grass and then just use my bare hands and stuff as I was flying around on the, on the, on the streets and stuff. So, yeah, it was, um, it, w- it was amazing. And, and like what you said, it, it just taught me so many great habits around cleaning my gloves and washing my gloves. And even, even when I played, even after any game, whether it was an international game or um, a league game or cup, whatever game it was, it was always I'd always walk into the showers with me with me gloves on. Everything else I'd be I'd be stripped off and I'd be just with me gloves on, washing me gloves in the shower. And lads used to think I was just mad, like you know. But I just I, that was just so ingrained with me because my dad always said to me he, when I used to work with him on the building sites, he said, "Look, son," he said, "Your tools look after you, so you look after your tools. So your gloves are your tools. They're they're so so important. So to have them clean, have them fresh." And have lads, um, and I've had so many coaches that if we ever came with dirty boots or dirty kit or dirty gloves, they wouldn't let you train until you actually cleaned your boots and cleaned your gloves. So we had great coaches back then that that taught us great, great levels of um, discipline and, and great ways to prepare. Nice. I think, it's, like you said, as well, it kind of does teach you so many good habits and also I think organisation as well, because I'm not being funny with you, but it's so easy just to pick up a pair of boots if you're an outdoor player. But, you know, if you're a goalkeeper, your boots, maybe your shin pads and then your gloves as well and making sure you don't lose them um, or misplace them. Oh, it was everything. It was everything because when you're growing up as a kid and I was so particular with my kit, you know, I, I love my kit because I felt my kit was like Iron Man. I felt I could step into this suit and it, it transformed me into, you know, something that I wasn't. It was something more than me. So when I put on my my kit, I used to feel, Jesus, it used to give me a sense of strength and a feel-good factor to it. So I was always I was always very sharp in terms of my boots. I'd always go through this. And even 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 when I was a professional, I'd always be like boots, socks, shin pads cycling shorts um sloggies uh shorts under armor t-shirt uh, shirt and gloves ultimately so i'd always go through that process of glove bag all that kind of thing i'd always have it in in my kit ready to go because i always felt right now i feel prepared and if i feel prepared now i feel I'm, I'm i'm ready to go because if 
if I if I'm, it was duly down to my own my own self and that because if I didn't if I forgot to do something and I had a bad game I I'd, I'd be very hard on myself so um, yeah I became very particular around around my kit and everything else and and like you said I've I've got my shin pads since I was I think my first pair of shin pads and I, I wore them up till my final day and I only had one pair of shin pads wow. my whole career yeah so they were um, little puma little um, plastic. With like, well, there were it was yellow foam and black foam by the time they came <laughs> off and it peeled off by the time I finished. But they used to go, they used to go everywhere with me. And there was times I wouldn't even give the kit man my shin pads or my gloves. They were they they stayed with me. Nice. It's interesting as well because again, you mentioned that I think sometimes you know, like I said, sometimes the older type uh, equipment or you know type of like products you use in football, such as gloves, shin pads, things like that. You know, they, they nowadays, they make them so differently. You know, sometimes they're really uncomfortable. I know they're meant to be comfortable, but they're really uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, the design isn't as, as as particular as, say, for example, it was back then. So, yeah, it's interesting to see, like you said, you kept it throughout. And it's good to hear that as well, because, you know, keeping the traditional things as well is, is, is a nice feel to things as well, I suppose. Yeah, it was amazing, as you said, because I I, I remember, um, you know, I'd ask I'd ask young keepers, I'd say, what size gloves are they? And they, they'd never really know what size hand yeah. they are, or what size gloves they are. And I used to be thinking, how do you not know that? It's on the back of the gloves. And I don't know if, if you can remember that, or there was a time where you'd have your they'd have the numbers on the back of the on the back of the glove, and you put your hand and your thumb, you'd line it up, and it'd say whether the width of your hand is a ten and a half or eleven or an eight or a five. And um, I used to find that that that's so fascinating. Like as I was growing up as a lad, going into the shop, put my hand on the back of the gloves, going, "Oh, I'm, I've grown a size. Like you know, I'm getting bigger. I'm getting bigger." And that was always a big thing for me as well because I wasn't six foot four till I was about maybe twenty one. So I was always a late developer in everything I did. So even even I was grown as a kid, I was I was probably you know I was I was quite small and quite stocky and. Uh, but at the same time, my these massive hands, just absolute shovels, like you know. So <laughs> I was always thinking, hopefully one day I'm going to grow into those hands. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's quality. Um, well, again, like taking things back then as well. Like you said, mentioned about your gloves as well, and you said that you know you had the first one, of the first pairs you had was the ones where it had like you know Bruce Grobler on there. And I know you mentioned as well about you know your brother being a bit of an inspiration in terms of you becoming a goalkeeper. But in terms of the actual sort of like games, so when you watch games and know when you enjoyed it as a fan almost um was there any particular goalkeeper that kind of stood out for you and you thought you know what i would love to be like that goalkeeper i want to really aspire to be like them i was uh i was a massive fan of david james growing up yeah. i i loved i loved david james um when when he was when, when he was playing and um he there was there were so many keepers even before that and it, it's hard to really say, it's hard to really answer that question because I love goalkeeping. I love the whole art of goalkeeping. I love the whole science behind goalkeeping. And I had yeah. so many favourites. And then from that stage growing up, I was born in, what, 79, come, growing up in the 80s. And then you're coming off the backs of the likes of, you know, the great Dino Zoff and Levy Ashen and all these great goalkeepers that have, have gone before and you're hearing about those stories and you're watching World Cups and you're watching European Championships. And you're watching games on terrestrial TV every Saturday. So this is before even Sky Sports. Yeah. And you start to realise, you know, today I feel football is very saturated. 
you know, you can't every day of the week there's football, there's football on. And um it for me it, it's taken a bit of of the sense of enjoyment and the expectation and and that sense of looking forward to a Saturday morning where we'd have say football focus on and there was very little shows on at that time. And all of a sudden yeah. you had a game on at three o'clock, all your mates either pile into your house or you'd watch a game and you know you'd be looking back at the old stadiums and there was, you know, half the pitches didn't even have grass on them. And, you know, I was just, it was just a whole different type of experience that I, I think the youth of today don't, don't fully, you know, realise the, the, how blessed they are in terms of the amount of football that they actually have. Where we were always left kind of, it was like um, dangling a carrot, you know, it was always that kind of like, Jesus, when, when's the next game on or who's on? And, and obviously being, you know, being a Liverpool fan, they were the team of, of the 80s and stuff, so... It was amazing to look back at that time. Like I've said, Bruce Grobler, he was he was he was amazing. He was so agile, and I had I had so many different keepers for so many different reasons because they had so many different attributes that I I enjoyed about them. Um, yeah. Walter Zenga, I loved Walter Zenga, the Italian great Inter Milan. Um, who else was there? Let me see. Um, uh, Peter Schmeichel. Peter Schmeichel was an absolute boss man, probably if not the best goalkeeper. And the only disdain I had for him was because he was Man United. But really, <laughs> secretly, I'd say nothing, like, you know. And then when the first time I remember seeing him throwing a ball over the halfway line, I thought, this is actually insane. He's after throwing a ball from the 18-yard box over the halfway line, which was insane at the time. It was unheard of. Um, so, yeah, there was, there's, there's been so many great keepers. Steve Ogrizovic, when he was at Coventry, David Seaman. There's, and, you know, there's been always a great tradition of, of Irish goalkeepers, the likes of um, Alan Kelly. I was a big fan of Alan Kelly, and then I got to work with Alan Kelly. That was amazing. Shea Given. Um, and, you know, and even you look at the, the great tradition of, of English goalkeepers down through the years, the likes of um, Peter Shilton, hearing the story about him swinging from the rafters or swinging from his banister. My dad makes a brand new shed, and I'm out the back garden swinging from the rafters <laughs> like a bonobo trying to grow a few inches in my arms getting longer and just little things like that like you know and it was such a it was such a fun time it was such a it was such a, a a great great time like you know and looking back at you know when I think of 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 you know acts of brilliance and there's probably none better than Gordon Banks to say at the World Cup that if you yeah. were probably tried to do it again or if you probably tried to do it again you know it's it's, it's it was some it was spectacular absolute some save you know it's amazing yeah, it's interesting as well because again, you mentioned about like sort of you know the, the spectacular saves, and I think it's interesting because you know when you're a kid as well and you're playing football, um, I don't know if you ever experienced it, probably, but you know when you're playing with your mates and say for example if someone gives a penalty away and you go right be a penalty, all of a sudden you have everybody per every single person who's not actually in goal, let me be in goal, let me be in goal because they want to experience. That actually sort of forgot about that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And saving and it's incredible but then as soon as the penalty's over out a goal again <laughs> and, then, yeah, yeah. and they're back out on field so it's interesting because we, we want to replicate some of those like you said those amazing saves and but then again at the same time even with sort of like you know set pieces or like you mentioned about the, the Peter Schmeichel where he's able to throw it so long I think again one of the interesting things for myself sometimes when I played in goal when I was younger and talking to a few goalkeepers was seeing how far away you can kick the ball and you know you have the ability just to be able to boot it as far as you can and it's, it's such great genuine memories you know whereas now people might talk about the dribbling in and out of players but then it was a, the saving and it was the kicking it as far as you can elements of the game I suppose 
Yeah, 100%. Like all those trying to, as you said, trying to, those little incremental gains that were that were massive and massive challenges for yourself. Like me, me and my best mate, his name was Ryan Casey, and he, he went over um, to Swansea when he was like 15 or whatever. And he played for the Irish under 18 team that finished um, the, the, what, the European Championships back then. They beat Germany and they won the European Championships under 18. And it was an amazing, amazing feat at the time. And I remember him just going across to England thinking, wow, that's, that's absolutely spectacular. But there was a huge part of me good because we were like brothers. Where we, weren't yeah. only just, we weren't only just best mates. We were just like absolutely brothers. Like, so we'd finish school in the afternoon grab our bag. As soon as that bell rang, it was absolute carnage straight out the door. And we lived about maybe two miles away and we'd run home with just the expectation of, there was no even thoughts of doing homework. There was no even thoughts. And I was just right. We just want to get out onto the pitch, want to get our ball, get out onto the pitch. And there was all these like telephone poles, you know, telephone poles through the, on on the roads on the way home. So we'd run one, jog one, run one, jog one. And we used it as like interval training at such a young age. And we didn't even realize what we were doing at the time with, with big, heavy bags. At the time, there was no like handouts from school. You had about 25 bucks in your, in your little satchel. And um, yeah, getting home, you'd come in, drop the bag off straight up, put your kit on. And we'd meet back down by the bottom of the alleyway and go across to the pitches across the road. And it wasn't until probably his dad had come in maybe 10, 11 o'clock at night, screaming in the dark, going, lads, where are you? Time to go home. And we had to get dragged up off, off the pitch. And we just absolutely loved it. And he was, he, he had an amazing left foot, which probably benefited me because he was so cultured. He could stick it into top corners and put it wherever he wanted. And I'd be flying after him. And ah, it, was, it was, it was, it was heaven. <laughs> I suppose as well, it's interesting. And I suppose, like you said, a bit of a blessing really that, you know, as a goalkeeper, you kind of, yeah, you, you obviously, you want to be you know, close to your goalkeeping friends and obviously you want to share ideas and, and take things away, habits away. But, so it's like you said, it must be a bit of a blessing in disguise because I know that if I'm an outfield player, of course I want a friend who's a goalkeeper because I just want to be able to ping shots at them all the time. Yeah, nobody wanted to play in goals, especially when I was younger. So to have someone that was like willing to play in goals and then after a while, then you start to develop and you're starting to get better and better and you're starting to make absolutely ridiculous saves and they're starting to get peed off because they can't actually score and you can just see their confidence just dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. And even that was amazing when you'd say go to a club or uh, you'd come to a new club when you're a professional or whatever else. And that challenge of challenging you against them. And it was, it was you know, that thing of, right, I'm going to save as many balls as I can here. And after a while, then you can just see lads kind of confidence. There's a respect in it. There's like a little transition that happens. And it was like, he's actually decent. But at the same time, He's killing my confidence here. Um, and then you had to be mindful of, well, he's my teammate. I can't actually, I can't be actually, um, um, you know, putting, putting uh, I suppose, uh, uh, nailing them like that. Like, and then there's times where I suppose you're, you're, you're confident and, you know, you're getting to absolutely everything. You're in that flow state. You can actually see everything as it's happening. And there are times then where you're, where you're low on confidence and you can't get near a thing and balls are just flying past you. So it is. Um, it's a it's a serious dance, goalkeeping. Yeah, and like you said, it's such obviously a particular area. And I suppose it's, it's funny as well because you mentioned about like you said, sometimes you don't want to overkill your teammates' confidence. I suppose it's almost like the, the dad moments where you know the child has a shot and you go, "Oops! Oh, it's gone in!" 
unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> just to allow them yeah, 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 to get yeah. their confidence up. But um, as well, like you said, in, in terms of being a goalkeeper, like I said, sometimes we we really do live for those moments, I suppose, where it's like you said, the the elements of saving, it's the protection, it's, you know, nothing's going to get past me. And, and that's, you almost don't even need the game to an extent to be competitive because you're competition comes in like you said just making sure nothing goes past you um but then obviously as an outfield player it's you know the potentially the scoring the goals element um was there ever a stage i know you said obviously you always wanted to be a goalkeeper but say for example if you couldn't be a goalkeeper for whatever reason and maybe that wasn't the the pathway in which your career took was there any other positions in which you kind of really sort of felt a close relationship with because sometimes when I talk to players they almost say the opposing situation so if I talk to a fullback they say a winger because that's the person who they're constantly studying within a game would, would you have wanted to be a striker or is there any other positions in particular I'd always have to crack I'd always have to crack if I ever went out, out, out field and say feed the bear like you know and uh, <laughs> probably uh, uh, touching me like a JCB like but um my my position really and what why I had an affinity towards is probably and what comes to mind is I the number four. I used to love that number four, that holding midfield role. Um, you know, that holding, you know, that kind of aggressor, that type of, you know, you can assert yourself on the game, you can crawl the game, you can move it about, you can be so influential and so part of the game. And that was a big part of me as a goalkeeper, I found very difficult was because I was a quite a vocal presence and I, I love being in the mix of things. By being a keeper is, you know, what you, you can't actually involve yourself too much. So um, I love that whole aspect of, right, if I'm in the mix of it, I can keep my full concentration and focus here and get yourself about. And that probably came about through my GEA background, playing centre midfield in, in Gaelic football. And I, ju I just love that whole aspect of it. And it was amazing as well for the, the skills and the attributes that... Um, intertwined with, with soccer as well because you know as a goalkeeper more or so was fielding high balls under pressure from from four or five other players and just the whole sense of physicality of it I just lived for all that kind of thing like so then to go back into goals where you were being so involved in the mix and in the center of everything to be on the periphery and then to be called on at certain times and spaces it was just a whole different type of challenge a whole different type of experience but it was um yeah, it's uh, it came to a stage where I was like, right, I've, I've got Gaelic football here or I've got, do I want to be, you know, a goalkeeper? And my whole dream was always to play for Ireland. So I just came to that stage as you normally do, maybe 14, 15, and you have to make a decision whether that's tennis or um, hockey or whatever sport you're actually into, whatever sports you're into. Um, you have to make that decision. So I made that decision probably around then, around 15. I was like, right, I'm, I'm going to put my head down here and... Um, do my best to, to, to make it as a professional goalkeeper. Nice. It's interesting as well, again, you mentioned about the sort of uh, interlining sort of, um, you know, transferable skills almost, because um, I think number one, one of the big debates I have with a lot of coaches and players necessarily as, as well is um, the whole versatile versus specialist. Um, and, you know, nowadays we see a lot of players and they're encouraged to sort of play more than one position. And don't get me wrong, that's good because, you know, you're, if some people say if you're a footballer, you know, you can sort of, almost avoid the, the spaces in any position. However, I do feel, and I think obviously, especially with goalkeeping as well, it's such a specialist area. And, you know, to understand the position in which you play, it's more than just 
you know, understanding what a midfielder does, understanding what a goalkeeper does. There's all the technical side of things. There's a psychological side of things. There's a social things of your relationships on the pitches, you know, as a goalkeeper, who who's your closest relationships? Well, obviously, potentially every back four, you know, if you're looking to play the ball long, then potentially it's your strikers. And yeah. it's all of these external things, but it's interesting as well. You mentioned about the um, sort of, you know, again, making a decision, because I think I saw a study um, when I was at the FA on Jack Butler. Um, and I think they said that he was a late bloomer as well into his position or into football, really, because he, um, I think, originally was a rugby player. And again, there's so many transferable skills. I mean, in rugby, you're constantly catching the ball. And, you know, again, in Gaelic football, we have some of that as well. So I suppose there's these transferable elements, which without actually knowing it, you're almost preparing yourself for that sort of position anyway on the pitch, which obviously, potentially, like I said, is in goal, where you're kicking and catching the ball. Yeah, no, I totally get that. And it's very valid in what you're saying because it is a specialist area. And it's understanding that it's, it's not a robotic area. It's understanding the, the position and the role, but ultimately it's understanding the, the individual and it's understanding the person. And it's, yeah. it's you know, when, when I do the work I do now with, my, with, with working with people on a one-to-one level or within teams or organisations, it's, you know, my, my whole motto, my whole approach is person first, player second. And when we start to approach the different types of people that we actually work with, and you've worked with so many young men, we've all worked with so many people in so many different areas. And I had a great goalkeeping coach called Tony Burns at Millwall. And he was like a father figure to me. He was such an amazing man and a fantastic goalkeeping coach. But he never tried to push his techniques or he never tried to push his style onto me. He always felt that we all have our own unique style and way of doing things. And it's about bringing that out in, in the goalkeeper without making him too robotic and changing his, his, whether it's his plyometrics or whatever it actually is, his hand movements or where he's comfortable. And it's about, it's about really, for me, about really understanding the different constitutions of, of, of various different um, types of players and, and goalkeepers because we all got our own, we all got our own strengths and we all got our own, you know, areas we need to focus on. And if we can focus on those areas, absolutely great. We can actually make incremental increases. But we never, we never, uh, when I was certainly growing up, it was always a focus on, on, on my weaknesses. And, you know, all of a sudden when someone starts talking to you about a weakness, you actually think it's a weak. So when we yeah. start to, I, I, just those little tweaks in the mindset of people around, around areas to focus on. Now all of a sudden it's a different ballgame. Now all of a sudden my left foot, is not so weak anymore. Now all of a sudden I can ping a ball 40, 50 yards and those little switches in, in the mind are absolutely massive. So when we start to kind of work at that, at, at, at that level and the deeper levels from, as you said, from a psychological and from a social aspect where we go remove ourselves away from the, the technical and the tactical aspects, it's even more important. And I've, had, I've been blessed to have some amazing coaches, amazing mentors, amazing teachers in my life that taught me those basic principles and foundations that were huge for me that when times got difficult and times got hard that's when I could go back to my foundational levels and actually realize well this is my style this is who I am this is the way I'm going to practice and that always gave me a base layer to to move from and then what came then with age and experience and and that's just my nature I'm 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 an open and adaptable type of person where more some goalkeepers can be fixed and they can be fixed in their ways. Other goalkeepers can be open, flexible, fluid and adaptable. The majority of them actually are. 
And I was always, um, I, I love learning. I love knowledge. I love information. I love wisdom, culture, psychology, philosophy, whatever it is. And I'm always open to, to understanding different points of view and different perspectives and implementing them and trying them and experimenting and thinking, right, if that works for me, it doesn't. So even when I was, just to give you an example, even when I got to probably, I, I, I didn't make get my first call up with Ireland until I was 31. I was 33 and became the oldest player since World War II to make his competitive debut in a World Cup qualifier. And I remember training with Che Given one day and I was having a chat with Che and he was going about his goal. And like what you said, I was just just observing, just witnessing, because that's probably one of the greatest skills we have as, as goalkeepers, our ability to observe. Um, and he was making these, he was going up to his post, he'd step a yard out and he'd make a, a, an angle 45 degree line across from, from, from his front post that was on his left shoulder, goes over to the other goal. And he used to do this all the time. And I was like, what is that about? And he says, he pulled me aside and he said, right, that's as far as my inside foot will go towards the foot front post. Because if I overcompensate on that side, I'm leaving my the, the, the full goal open. And I was thinking, geez, that's genius because I got just done at that the weekend because I had this paranoia that we were always told. And you see it on TV nowadays. You see Carragher, you see Neville, and you see all these people talking about goalkeeping and they haven't got a clue about goalkeeping. Yeah. They're even getting into positions and getting too low on TV. And I'm thinking, what am I watching? What am I seeing? And it's, it, it is so frustrating because, as you said, as we said, it's a science and there's, there's a lot more to it than... And, and the timing of it, how quick these things happen yeah. during a game, split seconds, absolute split seconds. So that weekend I got beat across I, I, I my goal, but I came off the pitch thinking, you know, I, I could have done better, should have done better, but I'm probably okay. I've probably self-preserved myself a bit here. Like, you know, the manager's not going to have a go at me because I didn't get beaten me near post. Instead of thinking, right, if I'm being brave and get into a brave position, now I can make an absolute save and save the team. So there are these little things and and I got that maybe, that was an absolute gift that I got into my 30s and it changed my my whole way of, of how I, I performed as a goalkeeper and elevated my performances, went through the roof. So yeah, it's um, open to learning and um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a game changer when we adopt that type of approach and, and going back to just, a, I know I'm rambling on, um, but going back, to, going back to the original point really, as you said, it, it's understanding individuals and understanding the type of um, keepers that, that young lads are and uh, what they what works for them. That's what I feel. That's my personal view on, on goalkeeping. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think you, you, the point you made about the coaches is always so important that, you know, uh, coaches in my eyes are always so fixated on the hows of things, you know, whether it's outfield players or goalkeepers, they're always fixated on the how, how to do things, the technical and tactical things that you mentioned. But I agree. I think, you know, if they're able to actually effectively... Um, you know, adopt players to have an open or growth mindset, um, then all of a sudden it doesn't become the how elements in which we're working on with players, but it's the where, whens and whys. For me, they're far more important than the actual hows. You know, I mean, in terms of obviously how long you actually spend on a ball or, or whether it's at your feet or your hands, you're so minor compared to the how, when, or sorry, compared to the when, whens and whys of a game. You know, why are players moving in a certain way? Do they want me to pass them the ball? Are they saying that they're ready to receive it? Um, when am I going to make these, like you said, these movements? You know, like you said about Shay Given, why is he why is he doing this with his feet? Obviously, you've got that understanding. Once you have that understanding, you can then implement it into the where and when. Where and when do I use it in a game? Uh, where and when do I use it against which opposition? 
And I think that they're the key things, the where, when and why is massively outweigh the hows. And I think that it isn't until you potentially, like you said, start to um, have more growth mindset, which hopefully coaches implement onto the players, that then you start to really, like you said, become more effective within your decision-making and problem-solving actually on the pitch rather than just the how am I going to pass the ball, how am I going to save it um, type of Yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I, I totally get that. I totally get what you're saying in terms of the how, in terms of um, the how in terms of a tactical aspect of how I'm going to use the ball and stuff. But where the how comes into it is from a psychological aspect and a social yeah. aspect. It's because what I found was, you know, it wasn't what I was doing at times with football. It was how I was actually doing it. Because now all of a sudden, I when you become a professional, you can get so engrossed in the intensity of performance and the intensity of succeeding and always getting to this kind of um, fictional, illusional kind of place of, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll reach this place, I'll reach this pinnacle, and when I get there, I'll be happy. And then you actually forget about the journey getting to that place and you forget about the fun and you forget about the joy and the excitement. And that's what I say to people I work with all the time. You know, it's, it wasn't what I was actually doing. What I was actually doing, I love football. You know, yeah. my mantra is uh, do what you love and love what you do. And there was times in football I fell out of love with the game. You know, I fell out of love with the game because of that level of professionalism, that level of self-determination, that level of drive that I was driving myself into the ground. I was driving my mind into the ground where I never had that ability or no one ever coached me in terms of, right, how can I steer? How can I steer my mind? How can I steer my uh, psychology? How can I steer my uh, thoughts, my emotions, all those interfering patterns into a healthy place to actually understand them? And then then we start to, as we said, like, you know, not about the how it's 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 as you said it's the how we're actually doing it and there is a I said it is a major major factor and like what I said it's it's so it's such a vast science like what you were saying in terms of the how the why the where and the when and we start to understand then why I'm actually doing something or why am I afraid to do something why am I fearful to ping that ball 30 yards or 20 yards why am I afraid to clip it over the centre house? Have I got freedom in it? Has the manager given me that level of expression that I can go and explore it and then go and give it a go and give it a try? Or if I make a mistake, am I going to get absolutely nailed? Am I going to get nailed by the players? Am I going to get nailed by the manager? Who's going to stand up? Who's going to protect me? Are the coaches? Are the fans? Are they going to come on me? So as a goalkeeper, we've got so many different things coming on that actually affect our decision-making. And when we get that going on with our decision-making, then all of a sudden... It, it, build, it breeds doubt. And doubt is a killer for goalkeepers because now it's, should I stay, should I go? And I was always told, if you're going, stay gone. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of the background I would have come from. And it is, um, it is amazing. It is great to have these types of discussions. And as you can see, I'm fairly animated and I'm actually so enjoying this conversation because it's great to speak to someone that's, that's like-minded and um, just, just loves, loves the game. And uh, it's, it's difficult to find someone in, in the goalkeeping realms that will sit down and have these types of conversations. So it's great. Yeah. No, no, I think, like I said, I think it's important as well. I think, you know, it's, like I said, it's so often neglected in terms of, you know, we see things in a certain way. And I think, again, you hit the nail on the head earlier on when you mentioned about, you know, understanding the um, person before the player. Again, if, like you said, in terms of as a goalkeeper, if you're thinking about certain ways in which you're making decisions or why you're doing things the way you're doing them, you know, like you said, if you're kind of thinking, oh, well, is the manager going to get on the back of me? Are the players going to get on the back of me? Well, if they don't understand the person, then they might do. But if they understand the person behind those decisions and the person behind those actions, then, you know, there's not going to be that 
animosity. There's not going to be that sort of, I mean, it might be a bit of an annoyance because people hate seeing goals and things like that anyway. But, you know, it's yeah. that whole aspect of if they understand you as an individual, just like how you understand the outdoor players or the manager as an individual in terms of making decisions, who to play, who not to play, then, you know, it allows for that sort of, okay, I, I, I get why they're doing it. Yeah, and, and that didn't that didn't that whole approach didn't come to me till probably late in my career. And that was probably when Ian Holloway came along. Um and managers up to that were pretty regimental and they had styles and way, you know, it was it was it was kind of that transition between modern day footballers playing with their feet to, you know, being absolute quarterbacks now where, you know, you look at the likes of Casper Schmeichel today where, you know, he, he can shell the ball all over the park and, and put it on a sixpence and some of the, you know, whether it's, um, geez, I forget his name, your man at Barcelona. Um, oh, Terstegen. Terstegen, yeah. And and these keepers that, you know, all of a sudden now they're, they become an integral part of, of the system and the way the way keepers are playing and that level of evolution. Um, but still, at the end of the day, that that's great. And it's, it's great if you have that ability to do it left foot and right foot and the way the game is evolving in that space. And... That's that's fantastic, but the ultimate thing for a goalkeeper for me is our ability to keep the ball out of the net, and by by hook or by crook, you know it's it's um, sometimes you know technique will 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 always give you that foundation, but sometimes by hook or by crook you have to use whatever body part, whether it's orthodox or unorthodox, to just keep the ball out of the net, and yeah. um, that's that's the beauty of it, and uh, that's what I love about goalkeeping, as you said that you have a foundation, you have a basis, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's just that challenge to keep keep the ball out with a net and there's nothing more I love than, than a clean sheet. I just absolutely lived for clean sheets. Everything I did was a clean sheet. Love clean. And you ask anyone I've ever played with and um, I I just thrived off clean sheets, even if we were winning 4-0 and we didn't keep a clean sheet, by God, that was that was not good. <laughs> so, yeah, it was certainly yeah. interesting. Yeah, no, it's like you said, it's, it's that competitive side and, you know, you have your competition on the pitch, but you also have your competition with yourself as well. Um, and obviously, yeah. throughout the conversation, you've mentioned some interesting points in terms of, like you said, you know, wanting to keep clean sheets and, you know, wanting to perform well and, you know, all these key aspects. And they're the reasons why, obviously, in terms of them playing goal as well, why, why you love the game. Um, and obviously, it's probably really hard to pinpoint this, but if you kind of look back on, you know, you've had an amazing career, like you said, you know, 600 plus games, you know, you've represented your country as well, which is the pinnacle for a lot of people. You know, they want to do that, not obviously only just play club level, but then also going on international stages as well. Um, what was the one thing for you which you just loved the most about playing football? Was it the whole element of being in goal? Was it just the fans or was it the stadiums or what, what was that one thing that just blew your mind? There's so many, so many elements to that. There's so yeah. many elements, but I, I believe the one that trumps all that is the camaraderie, is the unity and the togetherness of coming together as a team. And that being in that challenge and being under so much pressure and coming out victorious. And it's a total peak experience. And that it, it's for me, it sums up, you know, the beauty of the human spirit, you know, that yeah. people can come together share a common goal and go to work together and then achieve it. And, you know, understanding the challenges that you're faced with that and you overcome them internally as well, as well as all the external forces that are coming in on top of that. And you actually realize that, you know, any, any time I've been in successful teams, and I've often said that is, 
it's probably happened to me maybe three times in, in a whole career that I can look back on a team that I can actually genuinely call brothers. That's been part of a fraternity. That's been part of, you know, I think I think of, you know, they even wrote a book on, it, on, on the family about Millwall and that whole experience yeah. and what that was actually like for a group of lads to come together. And, you know, that, 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 that bond was so, so tight. And we, it, it made us, you know, it, it overcompensated for everything else that we were lacking, whether it was ability or quality or whatever that actually is. That sense of unity trumped everything else. It was absolutely massive. And I've had a, probably a Portsmouth when we, we got promoted and won the league. Um, and at Derry City when I was back playing in, in, in the League of Ireland when uh, um, now Stephen, Stephen Kenny, the current Ireland manager, was, was at the helm and stuff. And we just a special, special bond, uh, bond of players. And, and that, that is so special because when you look back at times in football and, you know, everybody has a perception that, that football is, is rosy all the time. It's probably rosy percent for about ten percent of it. The rest of the ninety percent is is serious hard work, a lot a lot of hard work, and there's more more downs than there is actually ups. So yeah. when we start to look at it from from that perspective, and what keeps us together is is that sense of, um, as I said, that sense of that sense of sense of that sense of hood or whatever that actually is, like you know. Yeah, hundred percent. And again, you know, similar to I mean, you know, people, I'll call it work, but you know, as a footballer, you, you, it isn't work. It's you know what you want to do, and it's it's fun, and it's enjoyment. But you know, like they say, with work, you know, you're spending the majority of your time of your life really with these people. And you know, like you said, if you can have a harmonious uh, environment, and again, on one of the co- on the coaching course, is the big thing about it, is setting a good environment, setting a positive environment, so you can get those things which come out of it. Because like you said, you're going to be with these people and you're ultimately all working together to try and achieve something. And, you know, if you can have those connections, whether it be on the pitch or off the pitch, you know, it's going to make it such more an enjoyable environment. And also as well, in terms of sort of that psychological element of it as well, the self-esteem rises, you know, the confidence rises because you're all in it together. There's not just one person who's left out to the side and, and, and things like that. So I think, yeah, I definitely agree. I think that sort of harmonious, you know, compact brotherhood, is so important but on that point as well um a bit of a funny one to kind of mention or bring up obviously within games or before games you know a lot of the time they speak about um players might put on music um before a game to get them in the sort of mood for things and such as that um have you got sort of any sort of uh, songs which you can remember which were ever put on before a game in preparation for a match or were you ever given the opportunity to put any sort of music or any sort of rituals before a game started in the change room from, from your own experiences? Yeah, for, for years it was it was always, as you said, the playlist. And and then, you know, it, it some some playlists were are absolutely horrific. Some music <laughs> was absolutely brilliant. And because you have such a diversity within the team, you know, you'd have had some old players and they're into 70s and 80s, some players that are into hip hop R and B, some people that are into rave, some people are hardcore you know, hardcore dance music. There's so many different things. And then you'd hear the music come on and it, it, there was a bit of fun in it as well because there was a bit of banter and a bit of crack of like, what you're listening to is absolutely crap. And, you know, it generates that bit of fun and turn the next song off and turns it off and someone's raging. And they're like, that's my song. And so there was years where a manager would be like, right, you all get a chance to, to pick your song and play your song or whatever it actually is and stuff like, you know. And then what happened was then usually the, the bad ones then were probably edited to the end. So we probably never got a chance or an opportunity to hear those songs. Um, 
oh Jesus, there's been there's been so many songs down 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 through the ages. You know, there's been so many different songs um, that it's hard to actually it's hard to um, pinpoint any pinpoint. any one song. Yeah, so yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm 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 a lover of all all types of music. You know, whether that's I listen to a fair bit of country and western music at the moment. Nice. Of whether it's the Bee Gees to Oasis to U2 to to jazz music to whatever I love I love I love all types of music so yeah I think it's just <laughs> me, uh, me me Celtic Irish background yeah <laughs> I think it's interesting that's why I mentioned it as well because you know people criticize them a lot and I think it's so unfair but you see players walking into stadiums now and they've got their headphones on and you know it's such a big thing though in terms of I think I agree music for me is it can get you into certain moods you know, like if you listen to, I mean, not to knock any rock fans here, but if you listen to rock first thing in the morning, you know, you're going to be really hyped up. You're going to be sort of like, you know, adrenaline overload um, compared to if you listen to potentially some mellow music or, and things like that. So I think that, yeah, getting sort of the right music and like I said, even if it isn't the right music, I mean, hopefully it doesn't put any players off any games. But um, like you said, you know, it kind of brings that sort of banterous side out, if you want to call it that. And you know, it's again, it's another form of connection with with the with the players getting to know them on a, on a deeper level as well. Yeah, absolutely. You get you get you get to know them what they like and what they don't like and everything else. And um, music for me is so emotive. You know, I, I I could be driving down the car and stick on a song, and next thing I could be in tears. You know, bring up yeah. a memory of a pastime with me, me me dad. God bless him. Or it could be a time where, as you said, we win at Wembley and we win a game and I hear that music and I think, geez, I haven't heard that song for so long. So it has, music is so, so potent. It's so, so powerful. Yeah, totally. And I think as well, it also brings out the uh, singers in ourselves as well, where uh, we all consider, you know, is football the right pathway or is um, should I appear on maybe X Factor next year? Or something? Yeah, I think I'd be better off on the one with the, what you call it, the man behind the mask, is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> behind the mask, yeah. Thank no, you. Um, I think I've got a good voice, but it's absolutely shocking. Uh, so, yeah, Best for the changing room, then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just humming the showers. Just <laughs> no, it's quality. Um, but then again, like I said, you know, you've had a, a, an amazing career. Obviously, you know, playing through different teams, both at club level and international level as well. Um, kind of looking across, sort of like you know, all the environments in which you've been within. Um, again, a bit of another fun one, really. I suppose. Um, if you were, say, for example, captain um, and you got brought down to your five-a-side local power league pitches, who would you kind of bring with you and put in that team in terms of players that you've been able to play with, whether that be technically wise or, like you said, maybe that connection that you've been able to build through through brotherhood? It's, it's a difficult one. Every time I hear these questions, it just it's just the anxiety it brings up in me. The stress <laughs> it brings up in me. I'm just thinking, oh, Jesus, are you just... Because it's amazing, my mind finds it so hard to actually even remember who I actually even played with. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, if I if I was to look back at, at probably a five-a-side team, and you know some of the players I was blessed enough to play with, um, and I probably think of the likes of John O'Shea, who was you know he was a, a phenomenal player and a phenomenal man. And he had such an amazing career, and and to get an opportunity to play with John at uh, at Irish level, and like that as well, we all have I suppose perceptions of players and what people are actually like before we actually meet them and play with them. And you know, John just blew my mind away when I actually got an, an opportunity to actually um, walk out onto a pitch with him and and play alongside him because 
he was he was a phenomenal phenomenal footballer and he was definitely a player that was seriously underrated and you look at what he won at Man United and everything else he was he, because he was such a utility player that's how good he was he could you could put John anywhere probably stick him in goals he probably wanted to win goals for the penalties <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, John John was phenomenal um, let me see who else Richard Dunn Richard Dunn was was unbelievable anytime we had a five aside and his pace and power for such a big man was 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 awesome and I remember like that getting to know him and getting getting to see him in training and you'd be talking to players right shoulder right shoulder get tight get tight and he'd just give you a little thumb up like and it'd make you feel really uncomfortable and you'd be thinking he's there like he's he's in he's in <laughs> and next thing ball goes from boom and he's over there and across there and you're absolutely going geez this guy's an absolute steam train like you know he just had his style and the way he played and it was all like under control and yeah he was he was phenomenal um, Seamus Coleman was I, I couldn't leave Seamus out there Seamus was so um, intense he was like a little terrier he was just loved the winner he had a great attitude and he was a, a phenomenal just marauding up and down the sideline um, James McCarthy was exceptional especially as you said when it came to um, five-a-side games and even first-team games and I, I still don't believe that he probably fulfilled his, his potential as of yet because he's probably one of the most composed footballers and probably the best touch I've ever seen. If he just absolutely glued to his toe. Um, and Wes Hoolan, absolute little magician. And he's still smashing it at Cambridge, my old yeah. club, at, at the weekend. And he's, I think he's manned the match every week at 38, 39. And like that, he was a late developer coming from the League of Ireland, same as myself. And him in a five-a-side, no joking. That was, he was he was magic. And he was magic on... on, on on the pitch as well, like he did so well for Norwich for so many years, and um, he was a little genius, you know, he was a little magician. Um, and then Robbie Keane, Robbie Keane up front was was, you know, an absolute goal machine. And just watching his movement and, and watching how he moved and his level of finishing and his ability to finish was was sublime. So um, yeah, there's 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 so many players I, I I could go on to, like you know, even playing with Steve Morrison at Millwall, he was he was he was massive for us at the time. And there was there's so many so many players that you could you could pick from and choose from. So I think I've named seven aside teams instead of <laughs> five aside teams. Yeah, because you're allowed Counting, a couple of substitutes. Something wasn't always my strongest point. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's quality. No, listen, it's a fantastic team, and I think it's interesting as well. Like you said, you know, obviously people hear the names and they think, oh wow, what an incredible team. But like you just said as well, in terms of some of the reasoning behind that, and I think that's kind of. Again, part of the reason why I asked that question, you know, just like you said, goes back to again what you said earlier on in the conversation, you know, understanding the person rather than just the player. I mean, we see players, including yourself, and, you know, we get perceptions, not saying necessarily bad perceptions, but we get perceptions of what people are like and, you know, how they are, even as a footballer in terms of how they play and decisions they make. But I think, like you said, when you actually go into the environments and you get to know these people and, you know, they, they become even more greater in terms of the characters that they are than just what you see anyway. Yeah, no, 100%, 100%. Um, and, you know, you, you hear things, um, you hear things as well, never meet your hero and stuff like that, like, you know, but I've met many of my heroes and they were absolutely boss men as well. And plus, well, I've met ones that haven't been so good to know. <laughs> <laughs> taking it, they won't give you five a side. Yeah, exactly, yeah, taking it as it comes. Yeah, yeah, it's just part of it, yeah, so. 
after oh, music. Um, again, like I said, you know, you've had an, an unbelievable career um, and obviously it's good, like we spoke before, hearing that now you're going into, say, a new field, I mean, obviously still doing football, but now you're going down sort of the coaching and mentoring route and you've obviously got your company called Pathfinder. So do you just want to explain a little bit around what Pathfinder is and and, and how it's sort of growing and, and, and what, it, what you exactly do? Yeah, so Pathfinder coaching and development was something that um, emerged for me through what I was playing. And I thought, right, this is definitely a field in terms of what is needed within the game to move it on. And what I started to go back and, and study, whether it was, you know, different forms of psychology, sociology, uh, cultural, you know, whatever, whatever that actually is, therapies and everything else. And then I found myself going back to university in uh, at Portsmouth when I went down there on loan, and just even the serendipity of all that actually happening at that time when this course popped up and I was going there on loan, and I thought, right, this is synchronicity. This is this is for me. So to go and get my masters in that and train with the European Mentoring Coaching Council, and it, that's been that was a journey in itself, and to to educate myself on that level, um, and then I thought, right, I, how can I help young young footballers? How can I help? young men and women of today to achieve their visions and their goals and dreams and I, I always look and I always said I wish I met my mentor when I was a lot younger when I was in my 20s or um, that someone that could actually guide me through that and then what I kind of what I do nowadays is high performance coaching where you know it focuses on the emotional and the, the psychological requirements of an individual or a team or a system and then you kind of re- you identify those goals and then you remove those, um, what would you call them, performance interfering thoughts and, you know, create a, a flow state. So that creates that kind of culture where you kind of encourage people to 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 achieve what, what they what they what they've dream about, you know, like what I said. And then all of a sudden you start to do what you love and love what you do. So. Um, for me, understanding goalkeeping, as I said, observation and, and all those different communication skills that I've learned just cope, you know, they just came together into this role and and, and it was just something that I, I feel natural to go and do. And when I started to understand the, the power of focus and concentration and the level of mind energy that's required for, for a goalkeeper. So when, you know, so we can be so fully present in moments we experience, you know, there was a lot of times where I, I didn't, fully be present in the experience and I, I I missed out on it you know so many great times and um that was such a shame because me me mindset wasn't in, in in the right place so when I start to look at now when I start to look at people and, and working on that it's been you know that we can get into those positions that we can perform and feel that freedom in ourselves to perform and that we can get into the right kind of shape in our in our, in our mind body and and spirit so that's currently what we do at the moment from, from I suppose, a coaching and, and mentoring point of view around um, psychology and performance and everything else. And then I also um, teach and train in um, breathwork in terms okay. of um, working with people's uh, uh, corrective breathing measures and in terms of how that can enhance and how that can um, motivate and generate um, clarity and focus and concentration as well as rest and repair and recovery on, on, on the other side. And it was a practice that I probably started 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Um, and it was given to me by um, a yogi in India. And he told me to practice these, these, these certain practices and how it transformed my performance because now I got my mindset into the right place, as well as it got physiologically, got my whole 
uh, every system of, of my body operating and stuff. So at the moment, I'm, I'm, I, I, I hold classes every every morning on them and um, I get people from all walks of life, football, accountants, whatever they be, coaches, whatever it is, come, come and join me. So um, I'm really enjoying, as I said, I probably should have retired years ago, but uh, I'm still here today. And um, yeah, that's, 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 that's what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm just loving, I'm loving what I'm doing. And um, football and goalkeeping has given me so much, has given me so it's, it's just enriched my life beyond, beyond means. And this is just another way where, you know, I can, I can, um, you know, give that back in, in a certain way through, through my experiences and then through my, my, my teachings. No, fantastic. It sounds like an unbelievable setup. And I think it's something which is so important as well, because, you know, like we mentioned, or I say a lot of times coaches, that when you're coaching players, you're almost developing the next crop of coaches slash mentors, because, yeah. you know, if you're able to educate them and, and give them the sort of tools oh. that they need, then that's the path that they go down. And again, you know, you have the experience, but now as well, what you said, you found out. And again, it's, it's, it's a blessing in disguise to hear that you've, you've gone down the sort of educational route as well in terms of getting your master's because, you know, a lot of the time we just purely use our experiences, which is one thing, which is brilliant. But then to also have the education, the understanding, reasoning, learning behind that as well is a whole nother level. So I think, yeah, it's unbelievable what you're doing. And I think obviously benefiting a lot of people at the moment, but we'll continue to as time goes on. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's important growing up, as you said, to build that identity as, as a goalkeeper and stuff. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're phenomenal beings and, um, you know, that we're, we're far more than, than what we actually think we are at, at times. And that was just a side of myself where I thought, right, this is just something I want to explore another side of myself, another part of myself. And thankfully, you know, goalkeeping afforded me to, to do that. And you know, we there's as you said, there's so many transferable skills, and ultimately, what what coaching is, and it, it comes from stage coaching. You know, stage coaches to get someone from A to B, and can I get someone from you know from underage to professional? That's ultimately where where we want to get there, and then from professional on to to being a coach or a trainer itself. Like so, it's definitely um, it's 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 been an amazing journey, and uh, it's great that I can actually share it. subscribe to the daily coaching podcast so that you never miss out on an episode